You know those moments where you think, I wish I would have learned this in school? Those are the topics that we love to talk about. Join me each week as I interview experts sharing their strategies for solving problems that us young adults will face throughout our 20s and 30s. So what are you waiting for? And if you want new episodes about adulting advice every Monday, hit that follow button. I don't want to steal Jesse's thunder, so I won't tell his specific example that he shares, but negotiating a raise early in your career can lead to a six-figure increase in your lifetime earnings. And that is just one negotiation. By developing your negotiation skills and making a habit of consistently asking for a raise throughout your career, you are bound to outperform a peer who starts at a similar salary level by a long shot. But on the flip side, Asking for a raise is intimidating. The fear of rejection is real and rejection does hurt. You don't want to say the wrong thing that makes you appear ungrateful or puts tension in your relationship with your manager. Asking for a raise is a tricky situation. Luckily, in today's episode, Jesse Kramer will be discussing how to ask for a raise in a respectful yet effective way that maximizes your chances of getting what you asked for. Jesse is the voice behind The Best Interest, a popular personal finance blog and podcast. Jesse has firsthand experience with negotiating raise and understands the feelings that come with it. He's going to give us a strategy for getting the conversation started well in advance of the ask, talk through how to overcome the fear of rejection, and how to respond if told no. Jesse has been a guest on the podcast before, and I appreciate how he shares applicable advice, not this theoretical nonsense that doesn't actually work in the real world. If you've been wanting to ask for a raise, get ready. Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the chess savant, fizzy lover, and the man with a voice like butter, Jesse Kramer. Well, Jesse, this is by far the most frequently asked question that I get in context of career advice. So happy to to have you on the show. There's nobody else I'd want to be creating this episode with. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, Justin. I'm I'm excited too to share a few personal anecdotes, some stuff I've learned along the way, and I do think some. I think you and I have some really helpful knowledge for for the listeners that they can apply to their own careers. So cool. Let's let's get to it. Yeah. So we're definitely going to be talking about the the skill around negotiation. I, mm-hmm. I you can't really talk about asking for a raise without talking about negotiation skills. And we're going to get into both some of the meta pieces to that, which is like confidence and, and comfort, but also some of the more tactical things like how you can set up the conversation. But before we get into that, I have to ask the question, why is it even important to ask for a raise? I know so many people that go throughout their entire career, just taking what comes to them, and they've done fine for themselves. Is there a reason outside of just wanting to have more money in the current moment that we should really be I don't know, convincing ourselves and pushing ourselves to be escalating our salaries through asking for a raise. Yeah. I mean, one of the ways that I approached it, Justin, was you you mentioned just there, having more money in the moment. And of course, it's it's gonna be nice if your paycheck is a hundred dollars more per paycheck this year so that you can go out and do a hundred dollars more worth of fun things. And that's totally true, totally legitimate. But the way I approach personal finance and investing is kind of through this long-term lens. And one thing I I wanted to do in preparation for this podcast and then back in a a blog post I wrote long ago 
was just to see, you know, let's assume we're talking to one of your listeners right now. Maybe they're 25 or 30 years old and they still have two or three decades of a career in front of them. And I wanted to understand if they had a small raise this year, how could that raise kind of echo out into their future? Because it's not only a raise this one year, they're also going to be earning more next year because of the raise they got this year. So I kind of looked at two hypothetical people. I just call them Alex and Bart, A and B, just to you know delineate. And let's say I want to make them realistic. So they're earning $50,000 a year, which is a pretty realistic starting early career salary, $50,000. And they both spend 45 of the 50. So they are, they're saving 10%, 5,000 of their $50,000 salary. And they both take that extra $5,000 a year or 10% of their salary and they invest it. And we're going to say that they get a conservative return of 5% per year. But then one of these two people, Alex, he asks for a raise. And similar to the the story that we might get into today, he ends up getting a 30% raise. Terrific. So now he's making $65,000, not 50, 65. But being a good personal finance person, Alex says, I'm not really going to start spending more. I I just kind of want to start putting that into long-term savings. I'm happy with spending 45,000. So now he's actually saving $20,000 per year. He really increased his savings rate. Now, how are Alex and Bart going to differ over the next few decades? And I'll I'll skip out to the the longest viewpoint, which is 30 years from now. So Alex is now saving $20,000 per year. It's growing at 5% per year. Alex is going to have $2.5 million saved up in Mm. 30 years. Bart, he's only saving $5,000 a year. He's going to have 1.02 million. In other words, Alex's small $15,000 raise this year equates to $1.5 million in extra retirement savings after 30 years. It's a huge difference. Huge. Of course, Alex could choose to spend a little more this year, enjoy it, and maybe he doesn't save the full $15,000. But the thing I want to impart on listeners is if you get even a small raise this year, and you commit a portion of that small raise to your long-term savings, because of the power of compound interest over the coming decades, you are likely going to make a six-figure, if not a seven-figure impact on your retirement simply by taking some action sooner than later, ideally this year. And the thing I love about that story too is... A, it's a one-time situation. Like you have to negotiate your salary one time. This is not something that you have to dread and do every single year. Although I think it's good practice to be routinely asking for a raise, but just simply asking for a raise one time in his career led to an extra $1.5 million. And you see it all the time. Your earning power typically follows you as you go to different careers. You're usually not asking for less than what you made at your current. People are usually pricing you and and giving you offers at the range that you're currently in at the time. So Alex, especially early on in his career, just elevated himself out of a certain level of salary and into another. And once again, I think it just pays great dividends. Even if he took 5000 of that and you know added to his fund money of 45000 and then he went ahead and took the extra 10000 he's still got to come out substantially ahead of, of where Bert was. 100%. 100%. And, and you're exactly right. My example probably isn't good personal finance advice. If you get a big raise, you should be spending some of it <laughs> on the now. Like you've got to enjoy life. 
I mean, some of the other podcasting work that we do, Justin, you know that that's one of the topics I like to talk about. And something I feel like my guests have routinely come in and said is, you have to enjoy life. And that means spending some money right now. So mm-hmm. yes, listeners, keep that in mind. But you hit the nail right on the head. The raise you get this year will echo into eternity, as they say in Gladiator. And spend some money now to have fun, but save some for the long run, and it'll make a big difference. No doubt. So let's assume that we do want to get this kind of seven-figure increase to our lifetime earnings. We're excited. We're going to start this process of asking for a raise. I've heard from a lot of negotiation experts that the conversation actually needs, that the conversation, the ask, needs to happen before the ask is even made. We need to be starting this conversation maybe three months or six months in advance, kind of teeing up our manager for this potential ask. In your opinion, do you feel like this also applies for asking for a raise or is that not the same context here? No, I I think it does. I think it does. And there's a few reasons why. The first one being that many companies, they need to do their due diligence before handing out a raise. That might mean that your manager needs to put together some sort of comprehensive case to prove to whether it's the other managers or to HR and they need to prove and say, yeah, Justin is deserving of a raise and here's why. And that, that can take some time, not only time for them to put the work together, but time for you to prove yourself, time for you to complete the work tasks so that they can put this dossier together and say, Justin did A, Justin did B, Justin did C. So yes, that definitely takes some time. Yeah, and it's almost less of them putting together this comprehensive case, but more of you putting together this comprehensive case, giving it to your manager so they can go make the case for you if need be. And you're right, that definitely starts way in advance. And I think, especially with younger employees, we learn this lesson early on. It's more than just being a proven performer. Like you're not just going to automatically get a raise because you are a proven performer. In your blog post, this is super obvious to me from your angle. So you were out there crushing it in your engineering career, high remarks from everything up through your chain of command, yet you were in this 15% pay range. And once again, they're not just like, well, Jesse's great. So we're going to make sure we continue to bump him up. You have to like go out there and and demonstrate and communicate your value and you know package this case together and and go and actually deliver this to your manager so they're aware of it because many times too like they might be managing dozens of people and it's really hard for them to stay on top of everybody and it's kind of like this situation where if you're not vocal and you're not kind of like chirping in the back of their their head then they're probably not going to go out of their way to make sure you're you're getting an above average raise yeah i mean one of the things that i experienced and you know my story has some unique characteristics of it. Your employers out there listening, you guys might be different, but I had managers who were vouching for me, but then HR specifically was pushing back. And one thing I learned that goes along exactly what you, with what you just said, Justin, is that sometimes people in management or HR positions, they're thinking, as long as you accept less than you deserve, we'll give you less than you deserve. And every day you come through those front doors without saying something, every day you come through those front doors silently, you're accepting it. So in other words, the only way to break the mold is to speak up, is to say something, is to vouch for yourself, is to start that conversation with your manager. I think that's really good. So around starting the conversation too, I think it goes beyond just doing well or performing well in the areas that you think are important, but more so doing and performing areas where the company, your manager, 
deem are important. So I love to ask the question, especially three, six months ahead of my review, what do I need to do to get to the next level? What's important goals or initiatives at this company and how can I support them? Different questions like that so I can get a gauge and to an extent, use that as a little bit of an ammunition and actually just point me in the right direction. So I'm focusing my energy at work on the right things. Any other questions that come to mind that you really like to, to pose to your manager in terms of making sure you're on the right path and you're, you're aligned with what is valuable at that company? I think what you just hit on is probably the most important one, which is all of us as employees in various organizations, we're given our day-to-day tasks we, we see our job and we see our career in a certain light. And it's through the lens of our own two eyes and through our own 40 to 50 hours per week, whatever that may be. But that's you down at one of the bottom rungs looking up. It might be completely different if you're up at the managerial or the C-suite level looking down. And the things that they care about might be completely different than the things that you care about. Mm. And so it is really important to say, not only... What do I need to do to be good? Or what do I need to do to excel at my role as I define it? But what do I need to do to excel as my role as you define it, managers and C-suite people? What are you looking out of my role? Because they aren't always aligned. When I was an engineer, I thought, well, as long as I'm kicking butt in front of the customer and doing really well at design reviews and getting all my jobs done, that's going to get me a raise. And that was a big part of it. What I found out later, working for a public company, I probably should have known this anyway, they wanted to see ways in which individual engineers were improving revenue at the company. Mm. You know, this job was supposed to take 120 hours. I did it in 90 hours and I saved the company $15,000 in revenue. And if I could put those dollar bills, like literally measure my <laughs> job in monetary terms in an annual report, that was super helpful. I didn't know that until I asked and said, you know, what exactly are you looking for out of me? Yeah, that's so good. And that's a great way to start building your case and understanding what's important. So I really like that. Yeah. One other thing to touch on that you reminded me of, Justin, is uh, it's the commitment consistency principle, Mm -hmm. which comes from Robert Cialtini's book, Influence. Extremely good book. And part of this negotiation process is the way commitment consistency works is that we are social animals as humans. We don't like lying to one another because we have these strong social bonds. So once we commit to something, we are very likely to stay consistent with that prior commitment. Mm. So if you're able to sit with your boss, your manager, and essentially say, well, manager, if I do A and then I do B and then I do C, will you then give me a raise? And they say, yeah, that's that's exactly right, Justin. That's the plan we want to lay out before you. Great. They (laughs) have just committed to that plan. Now it's your job to stay consistent. So Mm -hmm. the whole idea is that that can take some time. And it's just another reason why you want to start these conversations ahead of time or start them knowing that they might take months to execute because you need to get concurrence and commitment on a plan. And then you have to stay consistent with that plan and make sure your, your manager stays consistent too. Yeah, no doubt. And it's good to get that in writing or, you know, and also be giving routine updates on that plan. Like the Mm -hmm. worst thing is, is if you made a plan with your manager and in six months at your annual review, you know, if you hit these metrics, they're going to to give you a raise and then your manager gets another job or is restructured to a different team. And all of a sudden now you are 
trying to convince your new manager that these were the goalposts that we set for my raise. And if they're not aligned with that and there's no documentation or no plan and the updates and everything, it it can turn sour pretty quickly, I think. Totally, totally. Yeah, that's a tough <laughs> spot to be in. Get it in writing. Totally agree. <laughs> so let's fast forward. Let's assume that we started the conversation maybe three, six months ago. We've started to build our case. We have a plan in place. We understand what demonstrating value to the company really looks like. And we're closing in on the time that we're actually going to make the ask. I think we need to shift the conversation now to mindset and belief system, which is probably where many people get caught up in this situation. I'd love to open the conversation up about how to overcome the fear of rejection. And I don't know if it makes sense to maybe bring in some of your own personal story and how you went about that. If there were times in your career where you you did fear rejection so much so that it overpowered you actually making the ask. And if so, how you overcame that. Yeah, there are a couple different stories come to mind or a couple different ideas. The first one is that I mean, let's really define what rejection is in this case. Rejection is very, very rarely going to be that they fire you, right? I mean, that that would be uncalled for. That's not what we're talking about. Rejection doesn't even, it's not even that they're going to decrease your pay. All they might say is, we can't give you a raise right now. You're still only making $50,000, Bart. Sorry. Like, that's what we're talking about. It's not really a loss, I mean, it might be hard. It might be challenging. It's not news that you want to hear, but you're not getting anything taken away from you. And even when it comes to like, like social rejection, we're not talking about someone breaking your heart. You know, we're, we're not talking about the, the cute girl saying no to you at the dance. <laughs> we're talking about a professional conversation amongst you vouching for yourself and your manager, or HR, who they are paid to have those kind of conversations. I think if you really start to think of it through those lenses, you can convince yourself that this isn't going to be the most painful rejection in the world if you even get rejected in the first place. Yeah, this one's a really tough thread for me to like give a lot of tactical on. I I truly do think it's like you just kind of have to take a leap of faith in yourself to an extent and also recognize that this is a professional conversation and therefore like once again you're not going to get fired over it. You're not going to your, your, your pay isn't probably going to get decreased because you made this ask. At minimum, they're probably going to say, we can't do that right now, as you mentioned. And it will definitely be on their radar in the future. So they know this conversation is probably not over, especially if you left it on good terms. Which kind of brings me to another question that I have for you too, is you did make this ask. But it required multiple times of making the ask. And I know you had some hoops to jump through and whatnot, but how did you make sure the conversation stayed alive? It didn't really die on the vine and you stayed professional throughout it and you ultimately did get what you were asking for. Yeah, a great question. Because you're right, there were, I'd have to almost go back and like rethink the timeline in my head, but there were a few hoops to jump through and almost a few iterations of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Again, it's the way my old employer worked was, management would vouch for someone to get the raise, but then ultimately it was up to HR as to whether, you know, HR is kind of this representation of corporate and it's up to HR and corporate whether you actually get the raise that you're asking for. So in my case, I had a few iterations of various levels of management reaching out to HR saying, hey, Jesse is underpaid based on the, the pay scales that we have and he's doing above average work for these reasons, we think a raise is pretty justified. 
and it got rejected multiple times. How did I keep it alive? Well, for one, I made sure that my manager and my manager's manager were aware that it's something that I was not exactly pleased with. And I think it's important, you mentioned earlier, like how to not burn any bridges. It's important to say, listen, I still like working here. I like the people. I like my day job. But this is a sticking point. This is a negative. I'd feel a heck of a lot better if this got fixed. So I'm not mad at you and I'm not holding grudges and I'm not going to, you know, do bad work or anything like that. But this is a problem. If people are receptive to that, fantastic. That, that's what you want. You want people to be receptive to that kind of attitude. Unfortunately, what I found was kind of what I mentioned before, which is I think from HR's point of view, in my case, they didn't really have too much incentive to keep me happy. My <laughs> managers had incentive to keep me happy, but HR didn't. And HR was kind of saying, in my case, Jesse, every day you come through the doors making the underpaid salary that you're making, why should we give you a raise? You're still walking through the doors. So it took me a while to come to that realization, but that's when I kind of had to flip the script a little bit and, and try a different tactic to obtain a raise. So what was the tactic? What did you <laughs> yeah. ultimately pull the trigger on? Because I feel like they're backing you into a corner with, with this yeah. conversation. There's not this give and take, like, hey, give us six months when we get budget again, or we're trying to allocate dollars to to raises, like give us some time or whatnot. There wasn't this like time conversation. It was essentially like you continue to walk into the door, therefore you must be okay with your current situation. Right. Which I, I don't really agree with how that, <laughs> that's handled. And I'm guessing your manager and your manager's manager didn't necessarily agree with that, but ultimately you, you have to try a different approach. So what was that? Correct, correct. Well, they were they were a very black and white approach. But the other approach is something that I call going nuclear. And it doesn't mean blowing your top off in terms of getting angry, but it does mean <laughs> it's kind of like the option of last resort, which for most of us means leaving the company, or at least the very realistic threat of leaving the company. And that's something that I learned at that job through time and experience and conversations with coworkers. Eventually, I learned many specific examples of, you know, oh, do you know Justin over in the electrical engineering department? He actually got a job offer from one of our competitors, and he leveraged that into a raise. So I kept on hearing that over and over again. And I was like, okay, that's kind of the game they're playing, which is we really needed engineers, but as, you know, as long as you're walking through the door, we're not going to give you a raise. But as soon as you threaten us with not coming through that door anymore, now we'll come to the negotiating table. Now you're a serious negotiator, and the risk to us as a company of losing a really good employee is now tangible enough that we will negotiate. And so that's what I did. I had to go to an outside, you know, I was an aerospace engineer. So I went to another aerospace firm, went through the entire interview process, which I write about in my article, feels strange on the moral ethical landscape. I went through that interview process with zero intention of taking the job. That was me personally. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to leave Rochester. I didn't want to switch jobs. All I wanted was fair pay. So I wasted time of this other company's HR people and the other company's managers, and I got the tour, and they flew me down there. And, and that felt dirty, grimy, for lack of a better term. But I felt like I was between a rock and a hard place because that's the only way my current employer will play ball. So for a little while, I felt dirty and grimy, and that eventually kind of manifested into frustration and anger at my employer for saying, 
you guys stink. <laughs> you forced my hand and, and this is what I'm doing. My choice is either to sit here and take it and just live with being underpaid for the rest of my career. I'm going to be Bart, who's got $1.5 million less than Alex. Or I have to play this game and waste this other company's time. But, but that's what going nuclear basically is, is you come in with a job offer. Now, one thing I just said, Justin, was I had no interest in taking that other job offer. It's so much better if you actually do have interest in taking the other job offer. And I think yeah. that's pretty important because my employer could have called my bluff. They didn't, but they could have and said, fine, go, Jesse, go take that other job. What am I going to do then? So, so that was a, a risk that I took that I, I certainly wouldn't recommend, or at the very least, I would say, get rid of that risk altogether by securing a job offer that you are totally willing to take, one that offers you more salary, and then go back to your employer and say, listen, I do want to stay here. I like this job, but here's the significantly better offer. What can you do to match it? Mm. That's going nuclear. Mm. Yeah. So what was the response? Did they, <laughs> did heavens move and, and things got approved pretty quickly or was it a process? So this is actually really funny. I, I don't even know if I mentioned this in the article. Heavens moved. A lot of phone calls were made in a very <laughs> short period of time from my management. And then one of the managers at the new company signed the date with the wrong year. Oh no. So, you know, it was, I, I think this was maybe in 2019 when this happened. And, and basically he signed it still as 2018 just because his brain was used to signing it 2018. And so this is the part of it gets, it's a quacky story, but the HR professional who I'd already kind of been butting heads with, cause we clearly did not see eye to eye through this whole process made a veiled accusation of forgery. <laughs> And, and that alone was close enough to making me being like, wow, I really am going to go nuclear here. But basically, it all ended up getting figured out within about 48 hours. And yeah, they offered very quickly to match the offer that I got from the second firm. And I said, yeah, cool, I'll stay. My job's the same. My responsibilities are the same. I'm still going to do good work. But I just got a 30% raise overnight. Oh, man, that's crazy. And I think lots of people have success with the job offer counter offer scenario that you're mentioning. I think you're alluding to it, but I know you didn't come out and, and say it directly. It might be a last resort for you, especially if you do really like your current job, your current employer, your current team. I don't think it's a, a strong suggestion to go out into the job market and to have your current employer counter a certain job offer if you aren't necessarily super interested in leaving your your job. But once again, you were kind of backed into a corner. There there wasn't really any other avenue that you could have taken with this except for just wishing and praying that the HR team got turned over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, th I think there are plenty of bridges you can try to cross before you get to the nuclear option. And and that you should try to you you should go about it these other more peaceful ways. But it's just the kind of thing of like, it is something that you can do if push comes to shove. Yeah. So let's kind of jump back over there to that avenue. Let's say that you're not going to counter with a, have your, your employer counter a job offer. You still want to try to solve this internally. I want to ask you a couple of questions, maybe theoretical. If you haven't been in the situation, you're a smart guy. So I, I appreciate your insight and wisdom in this. Is there a right or wrong time in your opinion to make this ask? That's a good question. 
if you have an understanding of the fiscal health of your business, that can certainly go a long way. Or it, it might even get down even narrower to like the fiscal health of your department, of your manager's team. You know, every business is set up a little bit differently. But if you know, for example, that the company just had to lay off 15% of its staff because sales are down, or you know that, like, say right now, we have this interest rate hike going on over the last 18 months, and a lot of startups that had maybe access to cheap money before are, are having to lay people off. It's a tough climate to ask for a raise in. And it's at the very least, it's something to be aware of so that you don't come across as tone deaf mm -hmm. if you go in and ask for a raise. That's one example. The, the opposite can be true too. If you know that the company is killing it and you know that you're hiring like mad and, and actually speaking of, that was part of my scenario too, was you would hear through the grapevine that because we were growing like crazy and hiring like mad, that we were paying new hires a significant salary to come work for us. So it's like, you know, here I was with a, in my case, I had four years experience and a master's degree and I'm a, a level three engineer out of seven. And there were new hires coming out of undergrad at level one, making more than me. And like that felt inequitable, right? So like, okay, I felt, I felt a little justified in that case. But having that kind of information in, in that scenario, like, wow, we are doing very fiscally well because look at what we're paying all these new hires. That is important to understand too. Outside of those kind of things, I think the timing portion just has to do with giving yourself enough runway, which we already kind of covered. You don't want to spring it on your boss and say, hey, I, I need a raise this week or else. It's like, no, you, you got to set up a longer runway than that. That's totally fair. Especially if you're talking off-cycle raise. I, I think you could help yeah. your manager out too by teeing up a conversation and getting to the place where you are showing, you know, demonstrating your case and you're making that ask during your annual review cycle. Therefore, it's more obvious and an easier path for your manager to go and ask, well, I don't need 3% for Jesse. I actually need 15% for Jesse or 10% for Jesse or whatever it may be, whatever your number is, that might be an easier time for them to, to actually go in and justify that to, to the people that need to approve this. Right. Right. As you're saying that, Justin, I almost thought of a couple other things potentially too, which is just the, the knowledge of what's going on in your manager's life, maybe personal life, but I'm really thinking work life. If your team just hired a few new people, well, that might be a pretty good time for you to say, hey, I know it's busy, you're, you're training the new folks, but if there's a demand on your team and you're underpaid, that gives you some leverage to ask for that raise. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the macro picture of your business as a whole, how it's doing, but there's even some of the micro stuff of, you know, is your team expanding or contracting? Is your specific skill set highly in demand at work right now? or not? Like those are some important questions to ask before asking for a raise. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. You'd bring up a couple of good things there. Actually, the specialized skill set is an interesting conversation. Like someone right now that is proficient in AI, artificial intelligence, <clears throat> write your check. I was just reading an yeah, article yeah. the other day and the, the salary ranges and the, the bands on some of these AI specific positions is outrageous. And I promise you, it is probably a very easy time if you're in that space right now to go and ask for a raise <laughs> yeah. and or just walk over to a competitor. You probably do one job interview and you'll have a, a job offer in hand and, and they'll have to make a, a match or <laughs> you're probably going to find yourself some, some very significant raises. <laughs> Completely agree. Like know, know your worth, know your industry, 
No, I mean, ultimately, this is a supply and demand problem. It's an economic mm-hmm. supply and demand problem. So if you're in hot demand, if your skill set is in short supply, that is good for you. Yeah. And I, and I love that you're just sh- almost shifting this away. I, I found myself early in my career. And also, I've talked to other young professionals, too, where I want to raise like that. That's kind of what I'm hearing from them. And and that's what I was hearing for myself. But what I wasn't really addressing was why do I deserve a raise? Mm-hmm. Like it's one thing mm-hmm. to just go to your manager and say, I want $5,000 more, but you got to answer the the follow-up question for them, which is essentially, why do you deserve that? And you just being there doing the job that they hired you for is not necessarily a strong case for why you deserve a new raise. You need to either demonstrate your skill set is in high demand. You need to demonstrate that you're a proven performer over the course of your your career and, and your time at that employer. Maybe even explain or demonstrate how you've expanded. You know, maybe you've taken on some of those new hires and you've mentored them or you start managing them. Maybe you've grown and developed your skill set into different areas and you've now become more valuable as an employee. Yeah, you're hitting on something there. You're making me think of examples from my past life and it's a it's a delicate dance. There's this whole idea that, you know, you might be the main character in your own life, but <laughs> yeah. you're not the main character in your boss's life, right? Mm. You're a side character. We're all side characters in one another's lives. So if you want to come to the front of your manager's mind when it comes to deserving a raise, they probably aren't thinking of you the same way that you're thinking of you. So you see yourself and you're doing all this work and you're making all this change happen. Great. Does your manager know about it? You need to make sure that they know. You you need to inform them one way or another that you are kicking butt. You got to make sure they know. But you you also don't necessarily want to go too far down that path, at least in my opinion, because I feel like there are some people that you interact with in the professional world who are, I don't know what, there's a, there's a rude way of saying it. I don't <laughs> know what the, the polite way of saying it is. Go non-PC. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're like, you know, the worst kind of brown nosers you can imagine. Definitely. And it's just like, oh my God, give it a break. Quit trying <laughs> to impress everybody. We get it. We get it. We get it. And so I think that can alienate you potentially from your colleagues in a way that you don't want, or you can do this like performative stuff on LinkedIn in a way that, you know, when I was six years old, I tripped and I broke my ankle playing <laughs> hockey. And little did I know that would turn me into a terrific rocket scientist and I just got a promotion. Like what? <laughs> what kind of LinkedIn post was that? Don't So don't do that, all right? But anyway, you do have to make your manager aware somehow that you're doing good work. Just find a normal human being way of doing it. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Jesse, I love you. I, <laughs> we, we have found some similar posts on, on LinkedIn. Luckily, I've, I've driven the algorithm to feed me some things that I find really valuable. But every once in a while, one of those rocket science broken leg stories oh, yeah. comes, comes to the top of my feed. <laughs> totally. I mean, when I was five years old, I watched a seagull dive into the bay and it never came back up. And <laughs> I use that story to just sign a new client. It's my hundredth client and I'm doing really well. What? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> let's let's wrap up a couple of like lingering thoughts in my head as as we start to conclude ripping on LinkedIn posters. Okay. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of other things that that I, I want to discuss, which is a little bit more cerebral, macro. I don't know what we really want to call it here. A little bit tactical whenever it comes to interacting. I think one important thing outside of just 
asking for a raise or negotiating a new raise, but any kind of negotiation element, this could be calling into your utility provider to, to try to get something fixed. It could be working with a, a prospect to hopefully sign them. One thing that I have found really helpful, but is also somewhat challenging at different parts is staying positive and enthusiastic. I've found as soon as I flip that and I start getting frustrated and I start taking it out on them and all of a sudden it's become adversarial, you against me, the conversation really goes nowhere. There's no longer a productive conversation. We are now competing against each other. Did you see that kind of in your own negotiations? How did you solve that? I, I know with, with your story that we've been talking about throughout this whole thing, it's it did kind of turn that direction at one yeah. point in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So my conversations with my management always stayed on the positive side. And that was important for, for many reasons. Like one, they were the more powerful voices who were vouching for me. And two, they were the people who I was going to continue to work with, whether the negotiation ended up in my favor or not. Like those were bridges that I needed to maintain for so many reasons. And it was always important to say like, ah, oh, well, yeah, I'm a little bummed out that they didn't respond to you, Mr. Manager, but thank you so much for trying. I really appreciate it. And who knows, we'll come back in a few months. Maybe we can try it again. Mm. So yeah, it, it is important to, to realize, you know, who's on your side and how much control they actually have. When you call into the utility company and talk to customer service, they might not have the power to make the change that you want. And no matter how much you scream at them, it's not going <laughs> to change anything. So right. So like, be nice to customer service people, you know. But you did allude to something, Justin, which is totally true, which is over the course of the negotiations, I came to realize in a few different ways that for me, the human resources folks really held no allegiance to, to me as the employee whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Their allegiance was to corporate. And if they could find any way to increase corporate revenue by decreasing employee salary or by keeping employee salary low, they were going to do that. And it, it didn't, at least in my case, and, and part of this might be my bias, it crossed over at some point between like, well, this is just professional and this is the way we do business to, right, like I mentioned before, like some some strange accusations or some some really just obstinate, stubborn negotiations. And yeah, like I, I definitely ended up getting frustrated, not to the point of yelling and screaming or name calling or anything like that, but to the point where I said, no, like I'm not happy with you. And I think this is an issue I have with, with you right now because in, in my case, I had an issue with HR because I said, you could go to your management, Mrs. HR, and you could say that this is an exception. And we've laid out all these reasons why we think this should be an exception to the, the normal raise protocols. But you're opting to, to stand in the way now, if you're getting pushback from your management chain through HR, let me talk to them. Send me up the chain of command until someone really important tells me to <laughs> shut up or I'm fired. <laughs> but, but, you know, like right now, there, the, anyway, it, it got to the point where it failed to pass the logic test. And for me, that meant, okay, I'm actually going to get a little bit personally frustrated here. Did that work in my favor? It probably didn't do me any favors at all, Justin. You know, I think at the end of the day, it didn't help me. It probably only hurt me. And going nuclear was the only thing that actually ended up helping me. So I can empathize with anyone who's getting frustrated. And it's a do as I say, not as I do. 
because I think you're better off just trying to stay as cool, calm and collected and nice as you can, hard as it might be. Definitely. And the last thing I want to end on that we haven't really talked about too is that you don't have to limit negotiations just to salary. Maybe you are getting pushback. It's not the right time. We're on a salary freeze right now. We don't have budget to give a raise. We're going to have to wait until we're in the actual period where we can hand out raises. One other consideration is that there might be other factors of your job that you could bring to the negotiation table. And of course, like I'm show me the money. Like that's, that's what's got to get me to talk. But there might be some other things that might be worth bringing up if you are not getting exactly what you want that could sweeten the deal. Some of those things could be work from home arrangements. It could be education allowance. Like maybe you get $1,000 or $5,000 for conferences, for courses, so you can start building your skill sets and hopefully deploying that in the future with some other negotiations, different things like that. Anything else come to mind for you or things that you've negotiated for in the past? Yeah, I, I think there's probably like PTO can be a part of that negotiation or any of those ancillary benefits. Another thing, depending on how you get compensated too, I mean, so for example, if you're in some sort of variable compensation role where maybe like, right, you, you get a medium-sized salary and then you get commissions based off of, call it sales. What if you say like, okay, you can't pay me more right now. Well, can you start giving me more leads? Or, or you know, how about Jim over there who's 67 years old and is about to retire? What are you going to do with Jim's book of business? Mm. Can some of those clients come to me because what if I'm able to get more business out of our current clients and thus increase my own variable commission-based pay? Maybe that's the answer. So you're right. It, it is important, I think, at times to be flexible with your employer and see if there are alternative ways that you will be happy with compensation that might not just be the salary itself. Yeah, creative solutioning for, for the other side is, is always great, no matter what the, the negotiation is. I've even very early on in my career, whenever I was a per hour employee, I just negotiated overtime too. It's like, okay, sure. I'm willing to work an extra five hours if you just allow me or, or allow me to actually work those five hours. That will get to the number that I'm trying to get to right now. Plus you get five more hours from me. Do you think that's fair? And that was like an, just an immediate yes. They're like, oh, okay. Actually, that, that makes a lot of sense. We're cool right. with that. <laughs> right, Totally. Jesse, so bring us home. If people haven't heard episode 75, your, your first appearance on The Struggle is Real, which is just a banger episode, you should definitely go back and listen to that. I, I got a lot of remarks on that one. So I know you did a really good job in that. You have a podcast out there. You're one of my favorite personal finance creators to consume. You are so good on mic and you bring these like complex, I don't know, financial news topics and actually make sense of them for us just average daily consumers. And then you also tell us how this might affect or apply to you, like the debt ceiling episode that you did recently. I was like, do I need to care about this debt ceiling issue? And if I do, why do I need to care about it? And you're so good, like I said, at, at kind of breaking this kind of things down. Tell us, where can we find more of your content if we're loving what we're hearing here and we want to consume more of you? Yeah, well, the thing is, Justin, when I was five years old, I was locked inside of a puzzle store. And that's how I got good at breaking down complex things. No, you can find the Best Interest Podcast. Yeah, so it's the Best Interest Podcast. It's on most podcasting apps, maybe even all podcasting yeah, yeah. apps, dare I say, although there might be some that I don't know about. 
But yeah, the Best Interest Podcast, usually what I'm trying to do these days mostly is chat about some interesting topics that I've kind of encountered in the last couple of weeks and then bring on a guest who's usually some sort of you know expert guest to dive even more deeply into those topics. So mm-hmm. you get a little bit of monologue from me. You can think of it as an extended LinkedIn post without all the BS, but then you get <laughs> an outside expert too to come in and really drive the point home. Yeah. So yeah, that's the Best Interest Podcast. And, and if someone's interested, obviously they can subscribe that way or they can go to my blog, which is bestinterest.blog and sign up for my newsletter where once a week I send a super short email that always has my latest work, whether it's blog posts or podcasts. And then I really like to share other people's work there too, so that you know if a reader wants to stay up to date on interesting personal finance or investing or economic news, they can do it that way. Yeah, you're like the only finance newsletter that I really need to subscribe to. You always just bring to light the like five top hits that I should be aware of and reading. So I really appreciate that about your newsletter too. I, I like getting that into my inbox every week. Cool. Awesome. That's great to hear. Thanks, Justin. (laughs) Well, Jesse, it's been a pleasure. Once again, this is Jesse Kramer, The Best Interest. You can check out his blog. You can check out his podcast. I love them both. Well worth it. Jesse, thanks again for the time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Justin. Talk soon. Hi, crew. Man, Jesse, he's a... He's such a fun character. I really love it. We had a lot of good banter there in that conversation, especially his LinkedIn conversations that we were having. But I think he did drop a whole lot of nuggets too. I know we talked about going nuclear and using job opportunities as a way to get salaries. But once again, he was demonstrating a lot of the steps you can take prior to that to to also go ahead and increase your raise. And I've done this plenty of times in my career and it's worked every single time, especially if you come in with some enthusiasm, with positive energy, you're a creative solutioner and you're demonstrating why you deserve the raise. I think these are really great. And one final thought that I want to leave you on too, I I get this is an emotional roller coaster sometimes, you know, and you got to really work up the courage to ask for it. Just remember that you can both be grateful for having a job, but also okay to want a raise. Like you can have both. Those are not separate things. You don't have to negotiate against yourself, recognizing that, oh, okay, I should be grateful for this job. All of those things. Don't worry. You're allowed to make more money and also be very happy with where you're at right now. So that's it, guys. Once again, this is the Managing Your Money at Work series. We got a great episode coming out next week as well. So if you want to stick around and get more content in the the money space, hit the follow button. Until then, love y'all. Thanks for listening to the episode. As always, I appreciate your kind words. If you want to leave us a rating and review on your podcast player right now, that would absolutely make my day. If you want to find episode show notes, our blog, and other great resources, head over to tsirpodcast.com. If you have follow-up questions, an idea for a future episode, or just want to say hi, we have a contact form on our website and those messages go straight into my inbox and I promise you, I will reply. But all right, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in. I love you all and you're not alone. Let's keep making it through our struggles together.